how he was able to get himself out of bad debt, how to start thinking like a bank, the first four steps to take to start feeling personal financial security, the difference between active real estate investing and passive real estate investing, and so much more coming right up. This is episode number three, three, nine with financial planner and entrepreneur, Sari Ibrahim. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. Do you want to become more fit and more confident than ever before in just 10 short weeks? If so, then you should join the 10-week transformation program today. All you have to do is go to nickcarrier.com, and we will collaborate to cast a clear vision and create a simple strategy to help you achieve your fitness goals. I want you to prepare to show the world the most fit, most confident, and best version of you. Today, I'm super pumped to bring y'all Sari Ibrahim. Sari is a financial planner who started his own business years ago called Fin Asset Protection. He's a member of the Bank on Yourself organization, and he helps real estate investors, business owners, and full-time employees grow safe and predictable wealth regardless of market conditions using a financial strategy that has been around for over 160 years. Before diving in, be sure you're subscribing to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast on the Apple Podcast app, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and be sure to share this episode with a friend while you're listening. All you have to do is send them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And if you enjoy the show, then I'd love it if you leave a five-star rating and review. But without further ado, here's to getting closer and closer to your best you with the one and only Sari Ibrahim. All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. Today, I am super stoked to bring on the one and only Sari Ibrahim. Sari, I just want to start off by saying thanks so much for joining me today, man. Hey, Nick. Thank you so much for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, dude, for sure. For sure. So I want to kind of give you a quick little overview on what I think the framework is to get closer to the best version of yourself and and why that is uh, pertainable to this episode today. I think... um, the way that we get closer to the best version of ourselves is we work on the six pockets uh, of life that I've kind of like deemed as the six pockets of life, your health, your personal life, your career, your financial life, your spiritual and your relationships. And obviously financial uh, aspects is kind of what we're going to be working on today. And I really believe that if we manage or slightly improve in all of these areas um, at all times and maybe spiking in one. And when I say spiking in one, I mean like really spending a lot of time in that area and really trying to learn a lot, really trying to grow a lot or achieve a big goal in that area. Then that's how we get closer to the best version of ourselves. And so I'm really excited to give people the value on the financial side today um, so that they can have confidence in their financial security. So the kind of the way I want to start today is you know, you studied digital forensics in college and justice administration, um, and you have an MBA in project management. And then you work for companies like Allstate, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Cigna, HealthSpring, and Humana. But then you founded Financial Asset Protection. Yeah. What kind of led you to starting on this entrepreneurial journey and starting your own financial asset protection company? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. So in terms of finance, it really started off around the middle of my MBA program. So my intent was to be a project manager. So I I was living in Chicago and I still do live in Chicago. And I wanted to be a project manager and then do the PMP exam, the project management professional exam, and then kind of take that route. 
Um, but as I was taking the courses, I realized I kind of wasn't a good fit for it. I didn't really click that well with that subject. Nothing against project management. I just realized I didn't see myself working in a big company. I wanted to work with more individuals. I wanted to work with people. And I, I, started, I got a job at Allstate in sales and marketing. And I was on the phone all day talking to clients who were business owners about auto insurance, homeowners insurance, commercial insurance. And insurance is insurance, right? It's not the sexiest topic, but it was how people thought of it and how, how they related to it and how they needed it to protect their assets and and to kind of uh, have peace of mind. So I enjoyed having those conversations. And and I also noticed that people became comfortable talking to me about money. And I kind of was like, you know, I want to make this into a career, pretty much a money problem-solving career. I didn't really know what it was called, but you know, I assumed financial consultant or financial planner or financial advisor. But still, the point is I wanted to help people with financial problems, whether they had too little of it or they had too much of it and they had other financial problems from having too much money, which a lot of people actually do have that problem. I wanted to understand those problems and kind of just be like a bridge to a solution to them. So got my MBA, finished that, and then uh, started worked at Allstate, worked at Blue Cross Blue Shield, worked at a couple other companies. Uh, I worked in the Medicare space for a little bit. And then, um, so one of the ways I like to learn is I just like to read a lot of books. And I was on Amazon one day, just searching for books on financial planning. And I came across this book called The Bank on Yourself Revolution by Pamela Yellen, read the book. And the book talks about the strategy, the bank on yourself strategy. And then I joined the program. And then since then, it's been about two years now, I'm a bank on yourself professional. Uh, founder of the company Financial Asset Protection. And our main focus is using the bank on yourself strategy for real estate investors, business owners, and full-time employees. And this is why I want to be on the show to talk about this concept as well as financial literacy and anything you really want to talk about, Nick. Yeah. No, I love it. So do you think that like the best way for somebody, let's say somebody's like just, you know, graduates college or gets out of high school and they're on their own for the first time. That's kind of the, what I'm getting at. They're on their own for the first time. What do you think is like the biggest thing that you need to understand in the beginning when you're on your own for the first time financially? Like, is it you have to understand the bank on yourself concept or, or do you have to understand that you want to be putting away X percentage of your income? Or like, what is the first thing that you need to understand once you're on your own? Yeah. The first thing you want to do is you want to really get comfortable with outlining your objectives. Like take out a piece of paper, write it out what you want, when you want it by, like your goals, but specific about it. And then also like make it unique to yourself. So um, there's a word that people use like should, like you should buy a house by the age of 30. You should graduate college by the age of 22 or 23, whatever the case is, is the word should comes from a belief system. So I feel like when people are planning financially, um, they put themselves into a should category. Like, well, I need to save X amount of dollars because I should buy a house by this time. And I think that that's, that could be problematic because people are different. People have different desires in life. People have different outcomes. One person might be thinking about buying a house in the suburbs while another person is thinking about traveling Europe. People have their own opinions about money and what to do with it. And that's fine. You want to drill down on those opinions and your wants and your needs too, and get comfortable writing them out, get comfortable looking at them over and over again, because you tend to get what you want. That's the first step. And then the second step after that is understand your numbers, like really drill down, understand how much money you're making, how much money you currently have, how much money you want to have, how far you are from that goal. So like be comfortable, like even if you're not reaching those goals, um, that could also be a good problem because then it keeps you motivated and you know where you're heading in the right direction. So those two things are actually, believe it or not, most people don't do those things throughout their entire life. So you want to actually uh, take your time with them. And when you're young, obviously, you know, you have more time to probably do that. So uh, number one, identify your objectives and then like reiterate them every day. And then number two, understand your numbers, like really get comfortable with the financials in your life, like how much you're making, how much you're spending and so on. Yeah, no doubt. So what do you think should be the biggest thing that somebody should start off saving for? Like, you know what I mean? Like, is mm -hmm. it, 
is that I, I should, you know, I, <laughs> I'm not, I don't want to put the should word out there, but what is, I guess, the most common thing that you feel like is most important that people, you know, I'm going to say it should be saving for, like, is it, is it a house? Is it, I need to be building a savings account up or is it like, what, what is it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Perfect question. So I think that, you know, I don't want to say the word should either, but you should be saving number one. Yeah. And uh, it should be a, an, an allocated percentage. And the reason why I say that, Nick, is that it could be subjective. Like, for example, if I told you save $100 a month, well, what if you're making $10,000 a month? And then what if I said save $1,000 a month? What if you only make $2,000 a month? So uh, one way to go around that is to keep it as a percentage. Like 10% of all earned income should go in this account. And then what to do with that money? That I would recommend that you buy an asset or at least start investing into an asset, something with the assumption that it's going to go up in value. That way you can carry your dollars with you into the future at an appreciated rate. And the reason why that's important is because if I just take all my money right now and just put it in a bank and just let it sit there for as long as possible, uh, because of inflation being an average of 3%, it actually loses value every year that it's sitting in a bank account. And then the cost of goods and services are going up every single year. If you looked at a 3% growth, inflation growth, over 24 years, that would mean that something that costs a dollar today in 24 years would be $2. It would be double the value of it, double double the cost of it. And imagine if you had money sitting in a bank for 24 years. Now it's like your buying power has been cut in half. So you actually lost money by having your money sitting in the bank account. I prefer for it to sit in an asset that will grow with inflation or even outpace inflation. If inflation is 3% and the growth of your money is 5%, you have like a 2% spread every single year across your money. That's how you come across. This is how like a lot of wealthy people think. They think, how do I never lose the value of money? And the reason, the way you do that is by allocating into assets that grow. One of them, real estate. Real estate is an amazing thing to do. And then even specifically within real estate, there's typically two types. There's active investing and then passive investing. Active is like, I'm going to go out, find the properties on my own. I'm going to hire the realtor. I'm going to hire the contractors. I'm going to post the ads online for the tenants or to flip it or whatever the case is. So you're actively involved in the investment. Passive is just when you simply invest in somebody else's deal. Like you would move $10,000 from your bank into somebody's fund. They do all the work. You and a hundred other people are invested into one property or numerous properties. And then you would get like a monthly or quarterly distribution from that. I'm a big fan of passive real estate investing because you really don't need to know anything about um, about real estate. You would just you would have to obviously trust the person you're investing in. And there's ways to do that. Um, uh, there's ways online you could do that. And I also help clients connect them to the right general partners in, in passive real estate deals. But that's another thing too, is that real, I'm a big fan of real estate. Okay. Gotcha. No, I like it. So let's say somebody is trying to decide the vehicle in which they want to in, invest their money in so that it is giving them a, a rate of return. You know, maybe they're debating whether or not to put it in the stock market. Maybe they're debating whether or not to put it in uh, active real estate or or active investing in real estate or passive investing in real estate. You know, one of the things I've, I heard on one of your first episodes of your podcast is there's a lot of things to think about when, in, when you're kind of deciding your investment vehicle with regards to rate of return, volatility, li- uh, liquidity, and, and different things of that nature. So what should be the different factors that people need to be thinking about when deciding on their investment vehicle that they are putting that 10, 15, 20% a month into? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome question. Yeah, so definitely. So back to the first steps you mentioned earlier. So step number one, like identify your objective. Step number two, identify where you're currently at financially. And then step number three is uh, find an advisor or some sort of consultant, some somebody, a coach who can help you uh, reach your goals that you have and could kind of guide you from an unbiased uh, 
perspective. And what that means is somebody who's not going to say, put your money in the stock market because that's the only way the advisor can get paid or put your money in real estate because that's the only way they can get paid. You want to work with somebody who can kind of step outside of their parameters and only look at yours and take an objective approach to truly connect you to your objectives. And you know, and when you have these objectives outlined, you're more likely to find that person. This is how actually, unfortunately, this is how a lot of people end up doing things they really never wanted to do is because they find people and then a person says, the best thing you could do is buy Bitcoin or the best thing you could do is invest in these stocks and they end up listening to that person. And then it turns out that you know it wasn't a good decision, but it wasn't a good decision because of the vehicle they chose. It wasn't a good decision because it wasn't aligned with their objectives. So like big distinction there. So you you want to find people who are going to be consistent and aligned with your objectives and who can help you and coach you, who have experience in coaching you to get to your objectives. So that is that'll make a big difference, you know. And then as far as like the specific vehicles, yeah, definitely you want to look at it from a, a, a couple of different factors. Like you, like how you were mentioning, like you want to look at it not just from the rate of return, because a lot of people, once they get into that sophisticated investor standpoint uh, level, they start to think rate of return. All right, if investment A gives me a percent return and then investment B gives me a 7% return, automatically investment D wins, but not always because there's other factors involved, such as the amount of taxes you have to pay now and in the future. Uh, how liquid is this asset? Could you put money into it and then borrow against it or sell it right away? Or do you have to wait like 30 years to get your money out of it? Um, the fees, how much does it cost to maintain this vehicle? How much does it cost to, to maintain on a recurring basis, on an annual basis? You also want to think about the volatility behind it, how risky is it? When you consider these other factors, then that changes from the rate of return aspect. It doesn't mean, in other words, the rate of return doesn't always win when you consider all these other factors in place. And this is what a good advisor would do is they take a step back and then really outline the investment from different angles. You want to kind of look at it from a different approach to see if it's going to really connect with your objective and if it's something that you truly want to do. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny when you talked about the first, the first step is like getting clear on your objectives and really knowing where you're at and what your current financial situation is. I was like, well, if, of course it sounded, it sounded like almost too basic to me, but then when you talk about different, uh, investment vehicles, you realize how important those first two steps are, because it's like, if you know your current situation, like there is no right or wrong necessarily necessarily it depends on right or wrong for your situation like if if you're in a place like i know right now i put, i have a certain amount of money in like in crypto that i know i don't need that i don't i know i don't need because I, i've got enough money in a couple of other places right so it's like my my objective with that the the factor of liquidity i don't care because yeah. i'm 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 not going to take it out right now um so just those first two things are just super important. I just wanted to kind of like reiterate that as being the first two most important steps. You're so right, Nick. Exactly. This is what financial planning entails is that what is relevant to you. Like you said, you know, you can care less about taking money out now out of Bitcoin. You have it for the long term, you know, uh, and the same is true. So like you don't want to just take this one vehicle and then apply it to everybody because it's not going to fit their their needs and their wants. Let's say somebody's going to stop this podcast and do those things right now. They want to get, they're going to try to get clear on their objectives and they're going to try to uh, really get an honest look at where they're at. Like, do you, are, are there common mistakes that people make when they try to do those things on them on their own without an advisor? Because I feel like there are some certain, certain people who might not even know what objectives they have or who might not even know what the best way to get a clear 
uh, a clear picture of where they where their current financial situation is? Like, what are the may, may, may most common mistakes that people have when they try to do those first two steps? Yeah, so definitely. So the first two steps, you could absolutely do, do those on your own. Um, for sure, you could do those on your own. But one problem I see when people do it on their own is they overcomplicate it. They're like, all right, I need to um, subscribe to this software. I need to subscribe to this Excel uh, template. I need to get all these tools and I need to make this perfect. And you don't. You really just need to figure out a way. Like I have every single day, I have an Excel sheet. And in the Excel sheet, it has the date and then it has the date. And it has, like, for example, how much I have in my checking, savings, cash value, life insurance policy, um, and then how much I made that day in income. And then on the right side of it, it has, like, if I have any credit card debt, like what are the current balances of it? That's it. Very simple. And it has the sum of assets and the sum of debt. And every day I see that. And I actually use it because I used to have a lot of credit card debt. When I started my business, I couldn't qualify for a business loan. Um, I couldn't qualify for to raise capital from investors. I didn't have that much experience. So my only option was just to use personal credit cards. It's a dumb idea, but I had no other choice to keep things moving. And I racked up a lot of credit card debt. But the way I got out of credit card debt was through this personal financial tracker I do. I see it every single day. There are so many times I talk to clients and they're like, I'm like, what are, what's, one, what's one of the main problems you're having right now financially? And they say, main problem right now I'm having is I have a lot of debt. And I say, okay, well, what kind of debt is it? Is it your mortgage? Is it student loans? At the home equity line of credit? What is it? And they're like, oh, it's just a lot. And then we go through the numbers and they're like, this is the first time I'm actually outlining all my debt, each one, the interest rates, the minimum payments for all of them. So I start to realize maybe they're not, they're not alone. A lot of people are actually on that same boat where they don't know their numbers. So uh, long story short, make it very simple. Very, very simple. Don't overcomplicate it. If you could just remember what your numbers are, you're fine. That's all you have to do. You can create your own system. You could use the system that I could show you, but really just make it very simple. You don't need projections and spreadsheets and, and to make it really complex. Yeah. Well, and you know, the other thing is I feel like a lot of people think getting a clear, getting a clear picture of their money situation, if they um, haven't done it for a long time, that they haven't gotten clear because they know they're not in a good situation. They just kind of avoided looking at it. Like you think that getting an honest look at it would actually like is going to be painful, but it's actually like, I feel like it's, it's so much better afterwards. Like sure. Like going through it, there's, it might be a little bit painful because you realize you haven't been doing things appropriately. But then once you have that honest look and you have that honest, clear picture, you have so much cl more clarity as to what you need to do moving forward. Yep. Yeah. Like if you're boxing, what's going to be more painful uh, uh, facing your opponent with your hands up, blocking your face or turning around, probably mm. turning around is going to be way more painful because you're going to get hit and you can't even see the punches coming at you. So the point is, is that you want to face your problems, um, look at them right in the eye because you're more likely to solve it that way. It will be painful. A lot of people, you're right, don't want to open up their credit card statements because they don't want to be reminded of all that debt. But of course, you know, um, just common sense. You have to look at it. You have to stare at it. You have to, you have to identify it. And when you do that, you're more likely to solve that problem. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Um, man, I, I think one of the uh, most important things in regards to getting on track with your finances is just doing, having things automated mm -hmm. and where like having certain, uh, you know, certain amount of money moved to certain accounts, just automated every single month or every single couple of weeks or however it is that you want to do it. What do you think are like the three most important or maybe not even three, but just like maybe the one, two, three most important money automations that most people should have to use that word again? So yeah, definitely. Like if you have any, any kind of payments you have to make, all, almost all of them, you know, it's year 2021, almost all of them have a method where you can just log in, connect your bank account to it. It's super easy. So yeah, I would just get that out of the way. 
And um, obviously knowing, you know, your numbers, knowing using a tracker, some sort of method of knowing your numbers. Uh, let's see, so kind of automating. Oh, uh, using calendars too. So like I use calendars for certain things like pay this bill or whatever, even though I have it automated, I just sometimes put on a calendar as well, just in case, you know, just as a reminder, you know, so become very comfortable using calendars as reminders or other, you know, there's so many apps nowadays where you could just have like a reminder to do list something, you know, utilize those. I think those work a lot and kind of have them as your, your boss, like telling you what to do, you know, obviously you're setting them up, but it's like having a boss, you know, telling you what to do. I, this is just kind of something that I, I feel like I'm personally curious about, but I feel like people, my, my listeners are around the age where maybe the thought, the thought pops in your head. What do you think is the appropriate time or the appropriate place that you are in your finances to start thinking about potentially needing to create some sort of like college fund for kids that you might have down the road? Oh, yeah, yeah. Awesome question. So definitely. So when you're dealing with compound interest and compound growth, the best time is yesterday. You know, the best time is as soon as possible to do compound growth. So yeah, like we've I've I've worked with clients who have newborn children, you know, and we start setting up uh college savings and they actually need to put in the least amount of money because they have so much time. Like they have like 18 years until college, you know. And then of course it doesn't have to be 18 years, it could be 10 years or five year plan or whatever the case is. But yeah, definitely. Um, the sooner the better. And that's a big reason why people need to, I think, think about college because uh, college funding, because you only have certain options like scholarships, which of course are very limited. And then you have financial aid. Aid, financial aid is for those who qualify that typically look at your parents' assets. And if you above a certain amount of money, they can't cover them. And then even if you do qualify for financial aid, it typically um, is the highest in the first couple of years of college. And then after that, it starts to kind of go down to the point where they don't cover much. And then of course, where most people fall into student loans, you know, we've exceeded a trillion dollars in student loans so far because most people need to fit in that category. And a lot of people are in, are in situations where like it gets to the point where you have to make monthly payments. And even if you're on an income driven repayment plan, you have to make these payments. Like I work with clients all the time who like we're trying to mitigate their student loan debt. And it's like, we really, we've exhausted all the options every month. They have to put, you know, $700 a month because that's it. That's the final straw. That's they have to do that now. They've exhausted all their options. So it's problematic. It could be very problematic to have student loans. So one way around all those things is just to kind of create your own source of financing in college. A way for, instead of going to Sally May, you go to the family bank to borrow and then to pay back the family. In other words, your own money that you're using over and over again. And exactly what we help clients set up. For sure, it's a good question. So when people have maybe initial calls with you or just conversations with your clients, what do you feel like is one of the most common errors that are people are making with their finances that maybe they don't even realize that it's an error until maybe they talk with you or they get revealed by somebody else. Yeah, j just um, definitely listening to a lot of people who um, don't know much about finance. Like for example, they'll listen to their HR, HR rep and the HR person would say like, oh yeah, you use this 401k, it's a benefit to you. So like a lot of people would assume that a 401k is a good financial move. It could be a good financial move. I, I don't want to bash 401ks, but there's some negative sides to it. So one mistake people do is they take advice from people who don't know much about the financial concepts, or they take advice from people who are locked into certain types of financial vehicles who only get paid on them. So obviously they're only going to talk about those financial vehicles. And I, and I don't want this to come off negative where I'm like bashing other advisors. A lot of people that do wonderful jobs helping people solve financial problems. But yeah, that's that's a couple problems that people have is they listen to the wrong people uh, when it comes to financial planning. Like, if I ask a client, I, I wouldn't ask a client this, but if I ask a client, why do you have a four hundred one k? 
you know, their answer would be probably because you're supposed to have a 401k. If you have one at work and it's offered to you, you should take it because it's a good deal. And again, it could be a good deal, but not always. Tell me about, you know, people are going to be, there's going to be some people listening to this and they're like, oh crap, I'm in my 401k. Is that going to be the right thing for me? So what, how do they know whether or not they should be investing in their 401k if that is the right situation? Is it like, is it kind of like one of those things where how much money do you need now versus how much money, um, Uh you have now, like what, what, what should I be looking at to know whether or not I should be investing in my 401k at work? Yeah, definitely. So consider number one, how much the fees are on it. So typically they're about like 1.5% every year, regardless if it goes up or down. So that's one thing to consider the fees. The second thing to consider is where it's invested. So typically there's like different levels of risk that the 401k has. So consider the amount of risk you're at. And then, you know, go back, going back to what we originally talked about, like, does it connect you to your objectives? Like, is it going to fulfill what you want to do? Are you just doing it because your HR recommended it? And this is what your company does, this is what your peers do. That's another mistake people do is they do things that other people do because they just assume that's what you're supposed to do. Like you're supposed to just, you know, for example, pay down your mortgage. I don't think that paying down your mortgage is 100% the best idea. Why? Because there's other, other uses of that money. And because interest rates are so low, low nowadays, you could deploy that capital in other places and earn a, a, um, a spread on that money that you're deploying. Like for example, um, every five or 10 years, you could refinance from your house, take out, borrow against your house, take out you know, a loan of like 2.8% against your house. And then you could take that 2.8% and then invest it passively into real estate and earn like 12% on that. Now you have a spread. You bought money at 2.8% and then you sold it at like 12%. This is what banks do. You know, They're buying money from point A and then selling it at point B and then keeping a spread in between. So like, you know, and I talk about this on the show, thinking like a bank. Um, so conventional wisdom doesn't always work. Conventional wisdom is like, save for the future, save in bank accounts, save in your 401k, save in the stock market, pay down all your debt, completely get rid of all debt. And I don't think that's true in every situation. I think that there's a, there's a, a big distinction between good debt and bad debt. And they both have their reasons. Good debt helps you advance in life. You're using leverage. You're using other people's money to get ahead. Bad debt is holding you back from accomplishing things you want in life. So to, you know, you have the, your podcast is called thinking like a bank podcast. What are some of like the biggest mindset shifts that people need to make to stop thinking like maybe a borrower and start thinking like a bank? Like what does thinking like a bank mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So imagine, so imagine this. Okay. Um, you're driving down a highway, right? You just got really river. excited. Everybody, you guys get ready to <laughs> get strapped in and ready to take some notes. <laughs> you're driving down a highway, right? And there's high rise buildings around you. You look around, you know, what do you see on there? You see, you know, Bank of America, Chase Bank, PNC Bank, you know, all the biggest banks, they have the biggest towers, you know, in, in, in every city almost. And the reason why is because they typically are handling the most amount of money. Banking is the most lucrative industry in the world in history. And it always will be uh, pretty much the utilization of, of money. So, you know, I think step one, when it comes to thinking like a bank is you want to think like, how do I properly use money? Not just um, uh, get money, but also the use of the current dollars you're making. How do you use it? And there's so many things you could do. Not enough in just this, this podcast episode to say, all right, you got to do this plan this way. So many different things. Um, but pretty much thinking like a bank is thinking if you had a board of directors in a, in a room and they were thinking about, all right, where do we invest? How do we advertise? How do we market? Like, what are those conversations going to look like? And that's what we bring in the show. We talk about, like I, bring, I brought on bankers, certified financial planners, lawyers, accountants, tax professionals, 
a real estate professional or real estate brokers. And they talk about all these things. Like you can go, you could borrow from this place. You could uh, loan it out at this place. You could become a private money lender, a hard money lender, all these different things that if you were to assume how a boardroom meeting would look with banks, that's the conversations you would see in the podcast. Yeah. But to go and like start, you know, using certain topics, there's so many things you can do. Um, and it all starts with what you want to do, your financial situation, what you know, and you know, kind of the the goals you want to take. I love it. Well, yeah, I want to get down to the last couple of questions here to make sure it gets you out on time. What are your personal three most important money habits that you have? Yeah. We'll be back to the interview in just a second. But first, I wanted to share a quick testimonial from a past participant of the 10-week transformation program. I started running the 10WT in the beginning of 2020, and I've had over 150 people on counting go through it, and they've seen amazing results both inside and out. If you're inspired to join after listening to the testimonial, then go to nickcarrier.com to learn more. We'll get back to the episode in just a minute, but first, here's what they had to say. Hey, I'm Adam. I joined Nick's 10-week program to get in shape for my wedding. In addition to that, to lose a little bit of weight and to bulk up my chest a little bit. I've lost five pounds and then I've been able to increase my bench max by 20 pounds. I think the consistency, it's helped me develop better habits and helped me get into the gym five or six days a week and really see the results of my efforts and helped keep me accountable throughout the entire journey through the program. You should join Nick's 10-week program. Yeah. So uh, number one, we're talking about the personal financial tracker every day, do, tracking money. Um, number two, so since I'm you know, running a company, I'm thinking about how to bring in new clients. That's a way to kind of keep growing income. That's another habit I have. And then number three, oh, oh here's a big one. So I have like for certain things for big purchases, obviously I have like like guidelines, like some sort of rules that I apply. Like for example, like this is where like thinking like a bank comes in. If you go to your bank and you try to borrow from them like money, they have a certain criteria of things that they look for. Like if it's real estate, they say like, are right, we only do real estate in this area? Uh, home values between you know two hundred thousand and four hundred thousand. Credit scores between six fifty and eight hundred. Whatever. So they have a criteria of things, standards that you have to meet all those objective, all those things that, that the bank has in order to qualify for that loan. And I think I, that's something I've been doing now since I started the podcast. Like I have like a criteria, a set of things where like, if I want to go buy something, like I'll make a list of all the things and it has to meet all those things. That way I don't get sidetracked and buy something or invest in something I didn't truly want to begin with. That's good, man. Well, before I ask the last question, I just want to acknowledge you, Sari, for being able to kind of have the courage yourself to completely change industries from, you know, you kind of realize when you're in your MBA, that project management wasn't for you. And, but then you got job in uh, these, with these different insurance companies. And then you saw kind of a, a need out there for, uh, for people with need, needing some financial uh, asset protection and you taking it upon yourself to uh, get on the, get the bank on yourself certification or whatever, coaching platform, whatever it is, um, you doing that and, and investing in yourself and, uh, and creating your own business and helping tons of people, man. I, I really want to acknowledge you for, uh, jumping out of the comfort zone and making that happen. Yeah. Thank you. And I want to acknowledge you for having this awesome podcast and looking forward to being back on here. Yeah, man. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Well, you guys make sure you go follow Siri on LinkedIn. I'll make sure I have that in the show notes. Make sure you go uh, to his company's website at finassetprotection.com. And then also you can listen to his podcast, Thinking Like a Bank podcast as well. All that stuff is going to be on the show notes at nickcarrier.com. Um, but last question, Siri, is I think that getting closer to the best version of yourself is, is both a constant journey and a unique journey. 
I think that the way that I'm going to get closer to the best version of myself is going to be a little bit different than the way that you get closer to the best version of yourself. So for you personally, if there are three things that you can currently do or three things that you can currently work on to get closer to that best version of Sari Ibrahim that you could possibly be, then what are those three things that you could currently do or currently work on? Yeah, definitely. So what I could currently do is I could um, definitely keep reading books. I love reading books. So for sure, keep reading. Uh, staying in good health. Um, I think that when you you know work out, you're athletic, that also helps you in the business world. It helps you intellectually. So keep that moving. Uh, and then number three, kind of keep... Um, Kind of stay socially active, you know, socially, you know, engage with other people, keeping in touch with f- friends and family. Um, that's uh, also good to obviously have those healthy friendships and relationships in your in your life. I love it. Three great things, Sarah. I really appreciate it today. Everyone, make sure you go back and and take notes if you didn't already, and uh, go check out thinassetprotection.com. That's all we got, Sarah. Thanks, man. Thanks, Nick. I hope you all enjoyed that super practical and awesome episode with Sari. Be sure you share this episode with a friend or family member by just clicking the share button, or you can just send them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. Also, be sure to leave it a rate five-star rating and review on iTunes and the Apple Podcast app, and let me know what your favorite takeaway from Sari is. Also, do you want to head into 2022 regretting all the decisions that you made during the holiday season? Or do you want to head into the new year as the most fit, most confident version of yourself that you've ever been? Because in just 10 short weeks, we can make that happen. Just join the 10-week transformation program today by going to nickcarrier.com. And we're going to collaborate to cast a clear vision and create a simple strategy to help you achieve your fitness goals. Prepare to show the world the most fit, most confident, and best version of you. Y'all make sure to go check out Sari's website at thinassetprotection.com. And you can book a free consultation with him today. Like I'm literally going to do that like right after I finish recording this. Also, remember to do these two things. Get clear on what your financial objectives are. Get clear on your current financial situation because these two things are going to drive your decision-making moving forward. Also, remember not to just take anybody's advice. Take advice from people who, one, know what they're talking about. Two, they aren't driven by their personal motives to make money off of you. And they, three, know your objectives and your current situation. Everyone, listen to me. Don't leave your financial situation up to chance. Take ownership of knowing where you currently stand, where you want to go, and get a good support system around you to help you get there. Because taking ownership of your financial situation can give you so much peace, so much freedom, and it's a huge step that you can take to continue getting closer and closer to your best you.